Amen. Where will you go this year? What is God's plan for you? And what kind of Christian are you going to be in this year? What kind of Christian are you going to be? There are three things that God wanted in order for His Spirit to move Israel to the promised land. Three things God wanted to have in order as His Spirit would guide Israel to the promised land. And there are three things that God uh, put in order before His Spirit began to move on the early church. The same three things. And there are three things that God wants in order in your life for God move, to move on your life to the next seasons and the next places that He wants to take you. And for you to receive all the promises that are in Jesus Christ. Three things we should have in order if we want God's Spirit to move on our lives today. And, uh, you know, you're a part of God's redemptive plan. It's sometimes we have all these plans in our life. We have all these things the world tells us to do. But the most important thing in the world is that you are a part of God's redemptive plan. And God has something in special in mind for you. But sometimes we get so busy with all of our, own other, all of our other plans, we forget the most important thing in life is God's redemptive plan. His story, this narrative that the Bible presents, that all these people, that we see all these characters, all these lives, all these families, all these generations are intricately woven together to tell a beautiful story of God's love and His redemption. And all those people had their own lives, all those people had their own agendas, all those people had their own purposes, but yet God showed up in their life and they responded to the moving of His Spirit and His Word and they began to allow themselves to be grafted into this beautiful story we call the Bible. And you're a part of that story. And I think the number one reason sometimes we don't overcome life's giant obstacles and one of the number one reasons we don't often cross our Jordan rivers, those impassable rivers, is because we've set our eyes on other things, other agendas, other goals, other aims, and we've neglected God's purpose for our life. And the, the most holy of us, the most churchy of us, the most Christian of us can easily do it, myself included. I say, God, what is your goal for my life? What is your plan? What is your story you want to write with my life? And Israel tells us picture. It gives us this, uh, the story of Israel gives us this understanding that God desires to use a messed up and broken people to give, show the world his glory. And sometimes Israel would often fall away from that story, that path, that plan, and unnecessary problems would come into their life because they failed to follow the things he wanted to put in order in their life. And it's simply this, here's what we're going to talk about today. You and I are meant to be Levites. You and I are meant to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's possession to tell the world of his glory. How many people want to enter into all that God has for you? I don't know, I don't have both hands raised. I want to enter in everything God has for me, everything that Jesus Christ paid the price on the cross, I want it. He died for it, he paid the price for it, and it's kind of like if you would go to a gas station and you would ring up all these candy bars and food and you'd only take half of them with you, and you left the other half on the counter. I don't know about you. I don't make a habit of that. If I, something has been bought, I want it. And if it's been given to me, I want it. I'm, all the Christmas presents that were under that tree that had my name on them, I want to open them because they got my name on them. They've been bought for me, right? And so, so many times there are things in our life that distract us from receiving all that God has bought for us. And there's some things we've got to have in order to receive those things. All right, turn with me. Numbers chapter 3, verse 1. Where are you going to go in 2018? Let's get some marching orders here. 
Uh, let me give you the background. God has desired to dwell with his people. And God so very much wants to be a part of your life. He wanted to be a part of Israel's life. He says, I'm going to create a tent of dwelling, a place of dwelling. I'm going to create a tabernacle. That's what it meant, a, t- a place of dwelling. And I want to be, upon, uh, be all around and within my people. I want to be, but I'm a holy God and you're a sinful people. And in order for me to come down and be a part of you, certain preparations have to be made. Certain things have to be in order. Certain sacrifices had to be made. Certain priests had to be put in place. Certain things had to be done. And here's where, before Israel is about to begin their march to receive all that God had for them, here's what God tells them. That's what we're at. Numbers chapter 3, verse 1. Now he says, now these are the records of the generations of Aaron and Moses at the time when the Lord spoke with Moses on Mount Sinai. And then these are the names of the son of Aaron, Nadab, the firstborn, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. These are the names of the son of Aaron, the anointed priest whom he ordained to serve as priests. But Nadab and Abihu died before the Lord when they offered strange fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. And they had no children. So Eleazar and Ithamar served as priests in the lifetime of their father Aaron. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring the tribe of Levi near, and set them before Aaron the priest, that they may serve him. They shall perform the duties for him and for the whole congregation before the tent of meeting to do the service of the tabernacle. And they shall also keep with the furnishings of the tent of meetings, along with the duties of the son of Israel, the service of the tabernacle, and shall thus give the Levites to Aaron and to his sons. They are wholly given to him from among the sons of Israel. And you shall appoint Aaron and his sons. They shall keep their priesthood, but the layman who comes near shall be put to death. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Now behold, I have taken the Levites from among the sons of Israel instead of every firstborn. The first issue of the womb from among the sons of Israel. So the Levites shall be mine. For all of the firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck down all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, I sanctified to myself all the firstborn in Israel from man to beast. They shall be mine. I am the Lord. Just reading through that, honestly, maybe honest, you wouldn't get anything out of it. It's a bunch of things that are getting done, some, some names, some things that are happening. But the Lord spoke to me uh, this week just to impress upon us things that he has marching orders for us that he wants to be done to take us into the promised land. God wants you to receive all the promises in Christ. And for this to occur, you had to have three things. Number one, you had to have a perfect priest. Number two, you had to have proper fire. And number three, you had to have a purposed Levite. A purchased Levite, a purposed Levite. Let me talk about that perfect priest for a second. All right, so the line of Aaron. God selects Moses to lead the people. He selects Aaron to be the priest, and he's got these kids. And God uh, would choose them to be these holy priests. And so the priests would be the only people who could see into the most holy place of this thing called the tabernacle. Behind this curtain was the Ark of the Covenant. Have you ever seen the uh, Indiana Jones? You know, it's the box with the, the angels on it, right? And only the priests could go into that room, and only the priests could see it, and only the priests could touch it. In fact, if you would go in there and just look at it, you die. Even to look at it, it had to be covered with special... Uh, uh, blankets, okay? Just say that. And all the utensils, even in the rooms before it, where there was a lampstand and some altars and some bread and some cups and things that God had ordered, all these things God wanted intricately made and done on purpose. 
And he says, these are the priests, and only they can do that, only they can go in there. Once a year, the high priest would go in there, make atonement, covering uh, for the sin of Israel, and only the priest could touch it, and only priests could see it. And so people needed the priests. These guys had this burden of being holy before God. Their whole life was given to live in perfection. They gave up every pursuit of life, everything. They couldn't do every, They couldn't watch the movies you watch. They couldn't eat the food you eat. They couldn't talk to the people you talk to. They couldn't do anything but be holy for the Lord. How many people want that job? I mean, that'd be kind of hard to do. That'd be a, whew. I mean, who wants that pressure, right? If you don't be holy, you go in that room, you're going to die. Just saying. I mean, better be sure you got this lifestyle down before you try to go in that room, right? And so these guys are holy. And the whole of Israel, Israel needed them to be holy. And so they alone could make the sacrifices. And they alone were standing in the gap to save Israel from the wrath of God. No pressure, right? No pressure. But here's the deal. Nevertheless, even in this passage, from the very first priesthood, from the very first family that took this job, man, perfection is so high a goal. Perfection's too high. I don't know if you've ever tried it before. You're probably going to fail. Anybody perfect? We're good. All right, we're all in the same boat here. Because even the first family failed. And so even over the generations of this priesthood came, man after man began to disappoint and disappoint and disappoint. And what we needed was a perfect priesthood, a perfect priest. And look in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26. I think we have it on the screen. All the outward religions, all the things of perfection, all the works and rituals could never change the heart of man. These high priests often continually fell to sin because perfection is too hard. And so God, even he set up this perfect priesthood for these guys. But for us, he began to do something even further. The Bible says in Hebrews 7, Jesus is the kind of high priest we needed because he's holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He's been set apart from sinners. He's been given the highest place of honor in heaven. And unlike these other high priests, he doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once and for all when he offered himself as a sacrifice for people's sins. The law appointed high priests who were limited by their human weaknesses, but, but after the law was given, God appointed his son with an oath, and his son has been made perfect, the perfect high priest forever. Amen. You know, we, even over the generations, you know, so very tar- many times we look to man for, for a way into God. And what God began to do is he, he said, I need you to have this priesthood. And there had to be a certain family. And they had to live up to perfection for Israel to live into the promised land. And for you and I today, Jesus Christ has got to be the one for us. He's got to be the one that we look to, the one that we lean on, the one that we rely on and say, God, uh, I, they needed a priest to get into the promised land. And, and you need a priest to get into heaven today. It's not a Catholic priest. It's not a pastor. It's not an evangelist. There's a man, a God man, who said, I'm the perfection you needed, and I'm the way you're going to get to that place. And so many times, I think today, we look to that pastor and we say, I'm gonna, I need that pastor to pray for me. I need that evangelist to pray for me. I need, uh, man, isn't that guy's anointing so strong? He must be really close to God. Don't you love it when he preaches? Don't you love it when he prays? Don't you love going to the altar? Man, I really want, I've had, I mean, there's been times where people will skip other people to go to that one person in the altar. 
Because we're all so often looking to a man, lifting men up holier than ourselves. But here's the deal. What we just learned, we're all imperfect. We're all the same before a holy God. There's only one man who died for you. There's only one man who could save your soul from sin. There's only one God-man who said, I'm the only perfection you need, and he's the only way in the access to God the Father. Amen? And if you ever look to man, let me tell you, you're going to be disappointed. Pastor Heath's going to be disappointed. This church isn't built on Pastor Heath. It's got to be built on Jesus Christ. Your life, your prayer life, your prayers are not built on whether I or Miss Evelyn prays for you. It's built on going to Jesus in your prayer closet because you have the same access to God as I do. You believe that? Uh, so many times, I mean, I look at other pastors. I know some guys, man, and they do have a strong anointing. I know some pastors who just got the gift of healing, some evangelists that, man, they can, when they speak, you just cry. You know, you feel convicted and you just swinch down in your seat. You know, it's just like the Lord's just looking into your heart. But you know what I learned? Is that because Jesus has broken down the middle wall of separation, he's allowed access in the presence of God, that you and I are as close to God as you want to be. That sink in for a minute. You look to a man, man, he's really holy. He must be very special. He must have a real, you know, him and God must be like BFFs. He must be on his fast five. You know, like they just got this thing going on. No. You are as close to God right now as you want to be. That kind of hurts sometimes, doesn't it? Because I don't know about you, I want to be closer to God. I want God to use me more. I want God to speak to me. I want to hear him. But Jesus becomes this perfect high priest. And whereas before you couldn't go into that place, you couldn't see the holy things of God, you couldn't experience his presence. The Bible says that Jesus broke down that separation and he now he allows access into the presence of God for every single person who comes to him. No man stands in your way any longer to get closer to God. Jesus has silenced your accusers. He's torn down the veil. He's removed your sin. He's made a way to God. So the first thing you and I need this year in 2018, we need Jesus to be our perfect priest. We need him to be in the first position of our lives. Not looking to a pastor, not looking to an evangelist, not looking to another elder. Well, man, it's good. The Bible sets all those things in place. God anoints people for certain things, and man, he gives different gifts. But the number one person you need in your life is Jesus Christ. Amen? Number two, we need the proper fire, all right? I think y'all know that proper fire. <clears throat> For God to dwell with man, here's what had to happen. Not only was there this proper priest, this perfect priest, there had to be a proper fire. Uh, and there had to be the proper order of worship. Not, not, even if we had the priest in line, and let's say we got a good guy in there and he's doing a good job. Even if we had him, we couldn't just come to God on our own terms. Because look at verse 4, Numbers chapter 3. Nadab and Abihu, the two oldest sons of Aaron, says they died before the Lord when they offered strange fire in the wilderness of Sinai. What in the world is strange fire? You know, fire has always been the symbol of the Holy Spirit. And on that first time that God ever came down, God came down in fire. And he lit this fire. And before the tabernacle was this big square bronze box where they would kill a sacrifice and lay it on there and the fire would burn it up. And there'd be a sweet smelling aroma to God and they'd take part of that and they'd give it to different people, and they'd take the blood, and they'd sprinkle it into all kinds of different rituals. And that fire uh, continued on. They, actually, the priesthood was to continue. The fire originated with God, and that fire was to be kept and always kept burning on these lamps. 
and it was always to be kept burning in that bronze altar. And that fire originated with God. God gave it, and it was God's fire. And it was to never end. Now, what these guys do, though, is uh, they weren't the high priest yet. Their dad was. And they, on their own, what they would do is once a year, they would take some of that fire, put it in a little incense burner, put some incense on it, and they would walk. The high priest would take that incense, and he would go behind the curtain into the holies of holies where nobody else could go, and he would put that incense in there and as if it was prayers up unto God. And every other day of the year, he would take that incense from that fire, put the incense on it, it would burn, and he would go before the curtain day and night and burn that incense, and it would go up as prayers unto God. But here's these two young guys, and it's not the Day of Atonement, it's not the time to go behind the curtain. They're not the high priest, their dad is. And what they do is they take of their own fire, probably from their own camp, from somewhere else. They don't take the fire that originated with God. They try to go in and they make their own man-made worship. And they do unto God however they want to do. They come to God as they wanted to come to God. And God strikes them dead. His real fire comes out of that place and kills them, burns them up. People have to go in there and remove their bodies. And so that's what happened in this moment. And so the, these guys are here. They're trying to worship God in their own way. They're not the high priest. And Leviticus 10 tells us that they were disobeying the Lord because their fire was illegitimate. And then God comes out and he speaks this. He says, I will display my holiness through those who come near me. I will display my glory before all people. Can you imagine that? All of a sudden, you're, you're about to go to church. Somebody walks in, got this little thing of fire in their hand. They're, they're going in there, and all of a sudden, <laughs> these two guys get burned up, and all of a sudden, you hear this voice says, I will display my holiness. I will display my glory. You're like, okay, let's not do what they just did. Let's check what we're doing at the door. And so why did they die? Here it is. Their worship was man-made. And it wasn't for the glory of God. Man, that is a check for me. God, is my worship ever man-made? God, do I ever do anything in this life not by your Spirit? Fire is all about the Holy Spirit. God, do I ever try to enter your courts with a praise of my flesh? Or is it a praise of my spirit? God, do I ever try to live out this Christian life on my own efforts and my own strength? Or God, am I doing it by your spirit? Because when these young boys came to try to worship God in their own flesh with a fire that was not from God, it consumed them. Look at this. Their worship was man-made. I'm here to tell you that nothing can replace the authentic fire of the Holy Spirit. If there's one thing we need today in 2018, is that God give us the authentic presence of the Holy Spirit. I don't want anything man-made. I don't want anything conjured up. I don't want anything hyped up. Smoke, we could put some smoke screens on here. We could put some you know, disco balls. We can do all the things that the world would do to make you feel like this place was thumping. We can play some techno music like I know some churches do now, right? Not my thing. That's not yours either. But <laughs> Miss Evelyn's like, no. Uh, <clears throat> we could do it all to make it feel like, oh, yeah, we're worshiping God. But if it's man-made, it's dead. If it's man-made, it's dead. You know, my first sermon was 13 years ago this, this coming year. Uh, and since that first sermon, my first sermon was in uh, Port-au-Prince, Haiti, in a little thatch house in the middle of the jungle, preaching to about 40 people on a dirt floor. I love that. I, I thank God for that. 
Since my first sermon ever, I have been often criticized uh, over the year. I can't even count the times. On one side, I can, I can remember being criticized for being too spiritual very early on. Man, this guy is really too intense. He's a little bit too much. Even they nicknamed me Mr. Holy Spirit in college. You know, like this guy's all about the Holy Spirit. He's always want to talk about. All he wants to study, all he wants to preach on is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he speaks in tongues too much. Uh, and, and then on the other side, I've been criticized by certain people to say, hey, you're not spiritual enough, right? Uh, and that's okay, because here's why. I think even this passage, we talk about strange fire. This passage has been uh, a, a passage used to criticize even Pentecostals uh, all over the world to say, uh, how do you know that's really the Spirit of God? Does this person really have God's Spirit? You know, that's a valid question. We should always be concerned about the authentic. We should always be concerned, is, is this really God? Am I doing this for myself or this is false emotion? Because on one hand, you can look at this passage and say, God is a God of order in worship. And you can easily work yourself up into this emotional hype. You can easily uh, overcome with that. And we've all seen and we've all heard false demonstrations of the Spirit. Uh, if you've even watched televisionists anytime. You know, you can go get your miracle spring water anytime you want to for a few, bo- a few dollars anywhere. Uh, and on the other hand, while we can see the emotionalism, we can see the hype in different places, and we can say, well, that's, that turns me off. That's just all fake. And it, it might be. might be. That's a good question to have. And on the other side, though, we can uh, come into this place, and we can say, God, here's my routine. Please bless it. We can come to this place, and we can try to live out our Christian life in the most dead, dry uh, get through the motions, get out of here and eat some food and go through it. And that can be just as wrong, just as dead, just as lifeless as those who would say this is all hype and emotionalism and, 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 and we're building it up and we're thumping and we're running and we're doing all these things. And, and, and the God could not be in that. And then God could be not in the dead, dry routine. And so the question for us is, what is the right fire? God, I don't want to forsake your spirit. What is the right fire? The Bible says in Hebrews 12, 29, God is a consuming fire. Let me tell you this. What did that fire do on that altar? What was God doing with that fire that they were supposed to take from? On that brazen altar, that fire was consuming an offering. Today, if you want to have the Holy Spirit, it's going to be a fire that consumes you as an offering for God. That fire on that altar began to burn up the sin symbolically. And if you have the Holy Spirit today and you want to know if it's the genuine, authentic Holy Spirit, it ought to be consuming sin in your life. It ought to be removing and purging things. I don't care if you can jump and shout. I don't care if you sit there quietly. But it better be consuming sin in your life. That fire would take that uh, offering and it not only would it consume it, not only would it burn the sin up, begin. the Bible says that it made a smell. And just like right now, the guys behind our church are, are making some good brisket and some good Boston butt all day long. And that smells good. It's a kind of a, a, a bad thing. Our church is actually uh, a block away from a brisket house because often I come into uh, my office every day and every day I smell the sweet smelling aroma of brisket. And it's just this horrible temptation to eat brisket every day, you know, that you have to overcome to walk into our church, which is, you know, it's a blessing and a curse. But that, that, that cow or that calf, that lamb would begin to burn, and it would smell good, and it would go up. And the Bible says that was a sweet-smelling aroma unto God. It was, if, it was an offering of worship. 
It was offering of worship to God. It consumed it. The sin was gone. And it began to smell. And God would uh, get it from heaven. That smoke would go up. And the Bible would tell us today, too, if the Holy Spirit is in your life, it's not only consuming you. It's not only burning up sin in your life, but it's making your life a sweet-smelling aroma to God. That your life has become worship. I don't care how you worship in this building, but your life ought to be smelling good to God. It ought to be a pleasing thing for Him. That's what you know, the Holy Spirit. God, am I really got this thing? And lastly, that fire. Everything in the temple was made with bronze and gold and special metals. And that fire would begin to purge and uh, purify the things of God for His service. That fire would take the incense of prayer. They'd be praying by the Holy Spirit. They would be lighting the tabernacle by the Holy Spirit. They would be lighting, uh, even in the, in, the, in the desert times, that over the cloud they'd have a cloud by day, but at night they'd have a fire, uh, the, a tornado of fire, that God would be lighting the way for this, uh, their camp to go. Everything was by the Spirit. And if you want to know, because it should be a concern of us, God, is this real? Is it authentic? Because you can go to one type of church on one street in LaSalle, Paris, Louisiana, and you can go to another church on the other side of the street in LaSalle, Paris, Louisiana, and they're going to worship completely different. God, which one has the Holy Spirit? You know, I've been asked that many times since I've been here. Does sanctuary really have the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit consuming you? Is he burning up sin in your life? Is he making your life a sweet-smelling aroma to God? And is he purifying you to be used in his service? I talk in tongues every day. I'll give it up in a heartbeat if God uses me, if God takes sin out of my life, if my life becomes worship unto God. It's not about one or the other. Not how many gifts you have, not how many prophecies you can give. Do you have the Holy Spirit inside of you? Is the fire of God burning in you? The Holy Spirit will consume us. He'll purge us of sin. He'll make our lives holy and worshipful. He'll ready us for ministry. John said, more than an outward baptism of water, Jesus came to baptize and immerse us with the Holy Spirit and fire. Jesus would say, hey, we have to worship in spirit and truth. And in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit descended upon his church, he came with tongues of fire. And he didn't come now on a brazen altar for an animal. He came now, Paul said in Romans 12, upon living sacrifices. That's us. The Holy Spirit is here to consume you, to burn you up, to fire you up, to use you. So number one, you need a proper priest. Number two, you need the proper fire. Number three, you need to purchase Levite. That's where you come in. Look at this passage. Go down with Numbers 3 for me. I'm going to go to the end of this. You need to purchase Levite to receive the promises of God, to enter into the promised land. You've got to be a purchased Levite. On the night Israel was delivered, God did something. He killed all of the firstborn of Egypt. And God said, on that night, I killed the firstborn. The only reason I didn't kill your firstborn, Israel, is because you put a lamb across your doorpost. You took the blood of the lamb and you put it upon your family's home. And the wrath of God passed you over. That's why it's called the Passover, the Passover lamb. And I passed you over, so therefore you owe me your firstborn. But I didn't take it. God could have easily taken all of Israel's firstborn and used them however he wanted because he bought them. He paid the price for them. He could have killed them, but he didn't. And so they owe him in his sovereignty. You owe him your firstborn if you were an Israelite. 
He said, I'm not going to take your firstborn, one from every family who have ever been born. I'm going to take one tribe. I'm going to take the tribe of Levi. They will stand in the gap for your firstborn. In fact, they will stand as a reminder of my graciousness to not take your firstborn. And number two, they'll stand as a reminder that I am a God of wrath, and I could have killed them if I wanted to, but I didn't because I'm a God of grace. And so this tribe of Levi gets taken up, and they would represent the firstborn, and they had some duties. Look at this. Look down here in Numbers chapter 3, because I'm going to get through this, because just bear with me for a second. It's going to make sense in a minute. There's a lot of work to be done on the way to the promised land, and God gave each family a job. He appointed them to insist to them with the priests. He said, hey, you're going to keep the tabernacle. You're going to set it up. You're going to tear it down. You're going to move the camp. My spirit is moving, and for you and I to get this tabernacle and all of its stuff to the next place, you've got to help me. You're the Levites. You're going to help the priests. Everything had to be taken up. Everybody, every time the spirit moved, over 40 times, the spirit would move that camp in 40 years. They would be in the wilderness. There was a group of people who had to learn how to take it down, set it up, and not die. All right? Because if it came uncovered, if there's certain things that happened, people would die. Not only Levites, but the people of Israel. And so the Levites were standing in the gap, representing not only the firstborn in the grace of God, but they were also standing in the gap to protect people from the ignorance of their sin. Because let's just say you're a Levite, your job was to guard people who didn't know any better from accidentally touching something that was too holy, and they would die. So you had a two-part job. You, had to, you stood as a representative of God's grace, but you also stood as a representative of saying, God might kill you if you do something you shouldn't do and you go in this place. God's grace, God's wrath. I stand in the gap. I'm in, in a way, you're interceding for them. And to one family, he says, hey, I want you to camp on the, on the west, and you're going to oversee the tent, the covering, the doorway, and the hangings. Another one, you're going to camp to the south, and your families, you're going to oversee the ark, the tabernacle, the lampstands, the utensils. That's your job. To the one, you're going to uh, camp in the north. He says, you're going to take the frames, the bars, the pillars, the pegs, and the cords. Every single person, this is fun, uh, just as fascinating, every single family, every single person had a job. Every single thing, like we had this, uh, we had a great team of guys come and help us remodel our sanctuary uh, this last few weeks. And, and if we all knew, we all knew what we had to do. It's, it's like if we were to come in and remove things, every person could take one thing, and that would be your job. I'm the tissue box person. I'm the chair on the left. I'm, the, I'm this stand. This is my job. I'm in charge of this stand. Well, I'm in charge of, of this stand. I'm in charge of this microphone. Everything in God's house had a person, and it had a job. Phenomenal how God would do that. Now watch this. Everybody knew their place from oldest to youngest. And at 25 years old, I mean, from one month old, you're, you're called. You're, you're going to be a part of this family. This is our job. This is what we do. And at 25 years old, we're going to begin to train you. For five years, you're going to learn how to do exactly to move this pulpit exactly right. And at 30, you're going to serve for 20 years, and it's going to be all on you. And then... You were going to begin to pass this down to your children. And you're going to devote your life wholly to the Lord. And they're going to devote their life wholly to the Lord. Your whole family is going to be separated from worldly and secular pursuits. And this thing is going to be a lifestyle. Follow me. How many people in the American church today think about church as a lifestyle? How many of us think about passing it on to our children? This is, son, this is how we worship God. 
This is how we read our Bible. This is how we serve in ministry. I thank God for parents who led my mom and dad open the doors of the church. My dad was a ranger commander and a deacon and a worship leader. My mom was a missionette and a Sunday school teacher. And they showed me how to worship God, showed me how to read my Bible, showed me how to pray. And if there's something we need to be focusing on in 2018 for all these kids in the room today, is that this is how we worship God. The world's not going to teach them. That it was a lifestyle that says, this is how we serve. This is how we train up a next generation in the way we should go. And they were separated from secular pursuits. Their whole lives were devoted to God. Do you know your place in God's plan? Are we training up our children? And are we thinking and focusing on, we'll say, well, I'm only in charge of tent pegs. I'm only in charge of cords. I'm not in charge of the tabernacle. I'm only in charge of making the coffee on Sunday mornings. I'm not in charge of the pulpit. Every person mattered. You matter. I don't care if you're a door greeter. I don't care if you make the coffee. I don't care if you, Miss Lou, who's sick today, she picks up the sanctuary. I bless her heart. At, I don't know she's in her, I'm not even going to say her age. She's, she's, she's blessed, okay? And she works every Sunday and picks up the trash in this church. That is a blessing. She's the only one that waters those plants outside this building. And blessing. Every person matters. If you're praying in your prayer closet and that's all you can do, you matter. You're a part of this assembly. Everything you can do matters. You teach our children. You teach our youth. You're on our worship team, our sound team. All of it matters. It's not just the pulpit. And our lives free from secular pursuits. God didn't take the firstborn of Israel and he hasn't taken your, commanded your firstborn because why? He would give his firstborn son himself, Jesus Christ. And because God gave his firstborn, and the, just like the Levite stood in the gap, God took his firstborn to stand in the gap for us. And he says, I'm going to make a church. I'm going to call that church the church of the firstborn. You and I today, Peter says it this way. He says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. You might proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What is he saying? He's saying, church, get this. You had to get this. Before we leave today, you must understand. He said, God had a proper priest, and he needed him in place. And he had a proper fire, and that had to be in place. And then he put a proper priesthood in place, and he didn't come the firstborn son because he's a gracious God and he hasn't commanded your life because he's a gracious God he gave you his firstborn son to stand in the gap for you to tell you of the grace of God and the wrath of God to stand in the middle and say don't go this far this is the way you should come into the presence of God he tells us this is the proper fire and this is the proper truth and he lays his life down for us and now he's raised up a church a new generation of Levites who are the church of the firstborn. And God has always desired that all of Israel be a Levite clan. He's desired that all of his people would be a royal priest and a holy nation to tell God what he wanted to tell on that day he spoke from that fire. He said, I'm here to tell people about my glory and about my holiness. I want people to, I'm going to demonstrate my glory and my holiness through my people and the world's going to see. And he's called a Levite clan to do just that. And you're that clan today. You're that people today to tell the world. And here's the question. Does it matter to you? Does it matter to you that you're a Levite? Because here's why. It matters so very much to God. Not only that every item in his tabernacle had a person in charge of it. Somebody was over the tent pegs and somebody was over the brazen altar. That's a big difference. But it mattered. 
And here's another reason it mattered. Every life of a Levite stood in place somebody else. Moses, he says, God tells to Moses, he says, Moses, I want you to number the Levites. Comes out to 22,000 people. 22,000 firstborn, or 22,000 Levites total, male Levites from one month old and up. He says, now Moses, I want you to go number the people of Israel, the firstborn, every male, came to 22,273. What happened? There are 273 more males than there were Levites. God says this can't be. Why? Every Levite represented someone God wanted to ransom. Every Levite stood in the gap for a family, for a line, a new family. Even the one-month-old little baby stood as a reminder. God wants to stand in the gap for somebody. That Levite was, stood in the gap as a purchase redemption for a family out there in the world, out there in the people of God. So what do they do? God says, Moses, there are 273 people that are, do not have a ransom that do not have anybody standing in the gap for them. He says, you have to take to every family, and you've got to get two ounces of silver for every family. They would purchase a guilt offering, a sin offering, for every one of these 273. And they did it, they covered the sin, and they stood in the gap. You know what that means for me and you today? There are people in the world God has called you to intercede for. There are people in the world that are relying on you to be a representative of God's purchase of His firstborn Son. There are people in the world this year who are going to rely on you to tell them of the grace of God, that your life stands as a living sacrifice full of the Holy Spirit in power. You stand there to tell them, this is the dwelling place of God. This is what God is like. He saved our soul. We are examples of His firstborn And on the other hand, you stand there in the gap to tell someone, do not go this way, for this way leads to death. But that way leads to life. This is the way you get into the presence of God. This is not the way you come into the tabernacle. This is the way you get in to the holy place where God can meet you and save your soul and save your sins. This is the way God can atone for things in your life. And that firstborn, there may be this year, What if there are 270 people, metaphorically speaking, that are out there that have no person to stand in the gap for them? All the people that maybe that you and I are there to say, God, uh, can I be a person who would stand in the gap for somebody else? How many families are out there that do not have a Christian family praying for them? How many people and individuals in our community are out there that do not have a person being a demonstration of God's grace and a demonstration of God's truth and His judgment? Who is your life redeeming? Who are you on this earth to save? And who are you on this earth to demonstrate the glory of God to? Who are you meant to stand in the gap for? Because maybe this year you'll actually meet them. Being a Levite, stood for something, and being a Christian stands for something. We need a proper priest, a perfect priest, a proper fire, 
And God needed a purchased Levite before he could take his people into the promised land. He needed a person who would intercede for the people in their community. He needed a person who would represent his firstborn son and tell him of his grace and even of his wrath. And he wanted every life covered because every life mattered to God. You see, Christian, it's not about you going through the motions. It's not about you and your Christian family and your Christian life. Those are all good things. God has order and a way he wants you to live. But ultimately, you are still on this earth serving God because he wants you and your family to stand in the gap for another family that may not be covered. That's what 2018 is going to be about. Every life at Sanctuary Family Worship Center can make a difference from youngest to oldest. You are called to stand in the gap for someone.